0: Hi, and welcome to Hollywood On Ramp, the podcast where we interview successful people in Hollywood about how they got to where they are today. I'm Jay Troutman, and today I'm very excited to bring you a conversation with visual effects editor Kim Houston. Kim has worked on movies like This is 40, The Heat, The Big Short, John Wick Chapter 2, and most recently, Fast 10. But she started out working at a movie theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and has a great story about cleaning up the theater during the credit sequence of a movie, and then later working on its sequel with the same crew. Dreams do come true. If you'd rather watch this interview, it's available at youtube.com slash hollywoodonramp. I hope you enjoy this interview with Kim, and please subscribe if you do, so you'll be notified of future episodes. So you've just come off working on Fast 10.
1: Hello, I did.
0: As a VFX editor. Yes. So what exactly does a VFX editor do?
1: Um, Basically, we're the liaison between VFX and editorial. Um, you know, editorial will ask us to do temps, and we'll also kind of check through the cut and make sure when things change, we'll give numbers to every shot and give a new number if it changes and just sort of like you know, cut in shots, manage things on the editorial side, but also um, interface with VFX, whether it's straight to the VFX vendor or with the VFX producing team, um, just getting a zillion requests from them and questions, answering all of those things. So just kind of like providing material out of editorial and bringing stuff into editorial and just being like the middle person between both departments.
0: Okay. So you're, um, I think when people think of anyone involved in VFX, they think you're like creating VFX shots or doing CG.
1: No, (laughs) yeah, not doing those things. We're not the vendors. We're not the artists per se, although several of us have actually finished shots for whatever projects we're on. But, um, usually, you know, we're just providing all the material to the vendors.
0: Okay. So like how many shots on a movie like Fast 10? have VFX in them.
1: Uh well, so we had 3000 plus shots, VFX shots. Um actually every shot was numbered interestingly on Fast oh, wow. 10. Yeah, so we have uh a 3D department that they did for the Chinese release basically. Um they made it, you know, uh fully 3d three after the fact so every shot became if it was a non-vfx shot we still gave it a number and it went to um actually d to carve out so that they could separate the layers and, and make a 3d shot so it felt like everything was a shot <laughs> because mm-hmm. everything had a number but i mean It was most. Most of it was the effect shot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know in my experience, um, a lot of shots that people would never imagine have visual effects involved have some kind of either like painting out something in the background that wasn't supposed to be there or, um, you know, when, when I worked on the Fincher crew, it was like every shot had some kind of stabilization on it.
1: We see if we can toss those potentially to the DI, but... Things like weird speed ramps and shake and, yeah, stabilization sometimes and just, like, kind of the more challenging stuff we end up taking on anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it works out it's, like en- you- it's, like, endless stuff.
0: <laughs> right, right. No, just so that you can, like, give notes through the VFX review process rather than having something come up, like, at the last minute in the DI, which is, like, the final yeah. step. Cool. So, uh, 3,000 shots. How... How long did it take you to get through the VFX process? (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, we started, I mean, I came on in um, June of 2022, um, which was pretty close to the start. I think it was maybe like a month or something after they had started shooting. And we started turning over certain sections and shots in July more of it in August and then we really ramped up in um September late September I would say and November uh and by the end of the year we had almost everything pulled um it was kind of like a whirlwind rush there at the end because it was like um like the end of the year that is because it was all right we got to pull everything but also we have to temp everything because we have our first like executive screening um coming up too so we were sort of normally or hopefully in theory, you would have these phases where you first you temp and it's like sort of chill and then you pull everything. Once you have everything temp so that they can see, you know, what your uh intention is. And for this one, it was kind of like, all right, everything at once, go. And so we were pulling everything. We were pulling everything for post phase as well. We were doing temps at the same time. We were like sort of all hands on deck for that even. Um, so it was like Pretty much full speed ahead, like <laughs> starting in maybe like it got real hairy starting in like October and then just went all the way to the end, all the way to April. <laughs> April.
0: And now it's May and the movie is about to come out.
1: Yeah, yeah. In like four days or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so when you say you're pulling the shots, that means you're like taking the the frames that are in the cut and sending them to the vendor, right, for them to do the work.
1: Yeah, we're pulling all of the media for the vendor, either the plate alone or, you know, the, the chrome balls and the color chart and all of the other media required as well. So like tiles for the background plates and anything like that, lots of um, arrays, driving arrays, lots of stuff like that for this movie.
0: All the stuff that they did on set to try to make it match, like whatever CG they're doing match into the the stuff that they've shot, right?
1: Yeah, so there was lots of blue screen driving plates um, that we needed to fill backgrounds for. So they actually had a kind of stripped down version of a car that was either, uh, you know, the height of the charger, or the height of the fair lane or whatever. Um, and then it had like a three or six or nine or 12 camera array on it shooting in all directions, including the sky, so that we could um, just build a 360 of everywhere they were ever driving um and so all of those needed to be pulled as well spotted and then pulled fortunately the vfx supervisor helped us with picking the pieces because it was like very specific locations in rome that i didn't know like you know this street is this area and i'm like i don't know i've never been there (laughs) so it was helpful for him to pick it for us um but yeah just like massive amounts of media that we just had to pass on you know drone footage for Whatever, like just just so much stuff.
0: You mentioned um, post viz and pre I think also um, and temps. So, can you describe like what those are in terms of like where you are in the process? And
1: um, yeah, so we were getting pre Our post viz and pre team was the same company, Proof. Um, they were doing pre viz, obviously before they shot. So that was indicating to the people on set, how they should shoot and get plates for things. And then the same uh, company would take all of our Avid media. We would actually send them, we would do like an Avid media poll, a DNX, uh, you know, 115 poll for them so that they could work in just our um, low res plates so that we could use them for, you know, screenings and just getting a feel for whether or not the action or whatever was working. Um, So we would pull just a, a ton of the movie got pulled for post partially for time because we didn't have all that much time to actually temp ourselves. But, um, you know, it was a lot of like full CG elements or uh, sort of like um, uh, locations that we didn't have background plates for or whatever. And the um, the post postvis company actually, you know, generated those background plates. So we would get, a mix of those because of the different phases that the production was in at the time. We were getting post for one sequence that they had already shot and we were getting pre for the sequence at the end or something. Um, so yeah, it's sort of a mix of like pre is generally all CG and postvis is using the avid media that we have plus CG or, or just doing a key or something.
0: And then temps are like stuff that you can do with the avid media that you have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we did a whole bunch of that too. We assisted with the driving plates, comps and everything, just because there was so much, so much to do in short a short period of time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think people don't realize how, you know, when you're trying to watch a cut early on and judge how the, the story is going, how, how it's playing, you need some sort of visual effect element in there just to tell the story of where the cars yeah. are and what they're doing. and Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about how you got to the point where you're working on Fast 10 and doing 3000 visual effects shots. Um, (laughs) Where did you, um, where did you get started in the industry? Like, when did you know that this is something you thought you wanted to do?
1: Um, I feel like it was a pretty streamlined course, actually. Like I started out as a kid, just wanting to do like Sunday morning comics, like the far side or something. And so I wanted to do like something with drawing. And then that like kind of led to like 2D animation. And I was dabbling with that. And that was sort of like more challenging, maybe for my drawing skills. And so then I went towards like stop motion. And so I love doing, you know, stop motion in my you know, basement or whatever um, and then that kind of led to live action and then that led to post-production and sort of being the person that everyone all of my friends who were making shorts or whatever would go to to be their editor for and then just you know out of my own necessity I would do um, my own like visual effects and motion graphics and stuff so I kind of just kept going with that like all through like whatever middle school to high school to college and then when i got out of school it was like yeah okay like i i really do enjoy this i went to school for film so that's what my degree is in and so i was just like all right let's see what i can do which was interesting in 2008 uh milwaukee wisconsin not really not a great location not a great year for job hunting
0: <laughs> right around the writers strike and then the yeah,
1: yeah. And Everything the, else. the whole recession thing.
0: <laughs> yes. So how'd you get from Milwaukee to LA?
1: Well, I I tried to work in Milwaukee and it was, again, like just that there wasn't really much going on. Like I was doing a lot of production, actually. Um, lots of shows came through to shoot an episode of like um, Trading Spaces and uh, whatever reality show or something. So I was doing a lot of that, but not there's not really a lot of post-production there. So, or at least there wasn't at the time. Actually, the kind of the biggest fish in the pond was um, Chris Smith, who uh, did American Movie from, I think it was early 2000s, late 90s, something. Um, And so he was actually still in Milwaukee doing work out of his studio there. And um, I was actually working at a sushi slash Hawaiian food (laughs) kiosk at like a market near their studio. And they came into the market and ordered something on their, like, LLC, their movie LLC credit card. And I was like, oh, what's this? And they're like, yeah, it's the movie we're working on, on like, over down the street. And I was like, oh, really? And so I started to um, actually cut their, like, making of documentary for that movie for a while there. Um, but eventually I kind of, you know got the itch to branch out and ended up moving to New York, actually. Um, And there I kind of just blanketed the city with my resume and like a really nice cover letter, just sending it to post houses, sending it to um, uh, like trailer houses and commercial houses just to see if I got any bites. And eventually I got on a bunch of people's like Rolodex And so I get calls for, like, a three-day, you know, commercial job and a couple days here loading tapes and stuff for reality and, um, like, food TV. Um, Eventually, actually, someone, like, spotted me on um, LinkedIn and brought me in at Food Network. (laughs) That was actually my longest gig was at Food Network. And they found me on LinkedIn somehow, um, which was awesome and kind of, like, I feel like a rare story in our industry anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it's so awesome that you edit and you do motion graphics and you do visual effects. Like, come on board. And so then I was just loading tapes for like nine months. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was like, okay, yeah, I'm done now, though. It was great, but uh, now I'm done and I'm <laughs> now I'm going to move on. Um, and I was always kind of just trying to figure out how to get into features, actually, which ultimately you sort of come to realize and again it was like at the time which was 2010 or something it may be different now but at the time there wasn't much um feature post-production in New York either so I ended up moving to LA um and I was in talks with uh John Axelrad who is just an incredibly nice human being who was willing to just like sort of take me under his wing, like maybe without really intending to, but I just sort of like made it happen. <laughs> like he, you know, I reached out to him cause I saw that he was cutting something in New York at the time. And through a long conversation again, through LinkedIn, um, he was like, Oh, I'm not, you know, available or I'm not actually in New York, but if you're, if you're ever in LA, like come out and we'll get coffee. And so then I, wrote him and I was like oh coincidentally I'm gonna be in LA in a couple weeks and then I just flew there (laughs) and (laughs) had a conversation with him um but he was the one that really told me how to get into the union actually because in New York and certainly in Milwaukee I just didn't know how to get union jobs and how to get in the union and I was just sort of like you know I was like blanketing every email I could find for like a a post or or, sorry, a production email address. Like there used to be this newsletter called production weekly. Maybe it still exists actually, but it would have like everything in, in pre-production and development and stuff. And it would have like a production email that was just like a generic, like email this probably like intern. That's like just starting the pre-production of this movie. And I was like, I'm going to email all those people. I don't know. This is like, the only way I can think of to like get into features. And that didn't work at all because those people were not either the people hiring post-production or they were not hiring post-production yet at all. Right. And so I was just like spinning my wheels, just like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. And so that uh, meeting with John was really eye opening because he gave me like the rundown of just like, okay you have to like get your hours on something that qualifies for the union like a tv show like a reality tv show or a like indie feature that goes to a festival or whatever and then um get on the roster which actually in new york is not the thing so uh, like even if i tried to do that in new york i wouldn't be able to because the roster doesn't exist so you know get on the roster in la and then get on a production as like an intern or a pa and so if they need somebody on that production they'll bump you up because you're familiar with the project whatever and you're rostered so you're eligible to join the union right away so ultimately when i was driving across country after i decided to move he actually emailed me and was like oh we need an intern on this feature i'm starting are you interested so i drove across country and immediately started working with john on this movie um it was called gone and it was it was actually a Lakeshore production, which was hilarious because um, they did the movie Crank, and my ringtone at the time was the Crank ringtone. <laughs> it's like doo 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 and so every time it rang, there everyone was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> so confused, and I was like, "Yep, it's just me, just a fan." Um, so so yeah, I worked. I worked with John, and then he put me up um, for a union gig as an apprentice on something, and just sort of like went on and on from there and then like basically i sort of positioned myself as like the vfx specialist i guess motion graphics specialist on the team because i'd be like the third assistant editor and like didn't have much else to do really so they'd be like do these temps do these graphics like temp something up so I ended up just doing a lot of that. Um, and so then I kind of became known as like the person that does visual effects and things like that. So that's how I kind of like steered into the visual effects realm. And I just really like um, being kind of in the single department actually, instead of as a, an assistant editor where you are like sort of the go-between of sound and music and visual effects and like, you know, all these different things. Um, it's kind of nice to just be in one department and just focus.
0: It is. Yeah. I'm I'm doing that sort of for the first time um right now and it's lovely to not deal with all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Was VFX something that you you knew you wanted to get into? Or was it like, This is something I'm good at and so I'm gonna sort of put myself over here?
1: Yeah, I think that was more the latter that I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. go in planning to do visual effects per se, but I realized that I have an affinity for it and that I'm good at it and I really enjoy it. Um, And that there was sort of this need in the industry as well for more visual effects editors. So it's kind of like, as that was ramping up was when I was getting more into it sort of, so it sort of just like flowed nicely into it. Um, And I found that it was like, a really useful skill to have, basically.
0: I wanna back up real quickly because you so it sounds like John Oxelrad was like a big bump for you. Um like without that step, all this other stuff would have come some other way, but it might have taken longer. So mm-hmm. um I mean he was he was probably cutting like We Own the Night or something like, like he yeah. he's not yeah. He's a he's a well-known editor who a lot of people have a similar story with. He seems to be very <laughs> amenable to meeting people, but how did you manage to get connected with him in the first place?
1: I just cold messaged him on um LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> wow, LinkedIn. It's good enough <laughs> yeah, for food Network. Once
1: again, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was working for me, I guess. Um because I also had like IMDb Pro and other ways that I could find like direct contact that was also another sort of aha moment was realizing I needed to go directly to editors rather than other random crew like in production like obviously they were not going to be the ones that were hiring me but I didn't really know who and it turned out it was more like the editor will directly hire their crew so I started reaching out to editors directly um, and I think honestly, like he was working in a building that I was working in for some reality show. And I think I probably, because there was also a phase of this where I just slid my resume under doors of people and with like my business card and was like, here you go. (laughs) Which I don't know if that (laughs) helped or hurt it, you know, hurt me if they were just like, what the hell is this? But um, (laughs) maybe they were amused uh, at least and were just like, you know, I like her gumption or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I actually slid my resume under his door at one point too. But I don't think that, like, I, I don't know if that was ever referenced, like, when you we were actually messaging on LinkedIn at all.
0: That's one thing that I think with, uh, with people working from home more often now, and, you know, I worked from home for a while. It was lovely, but you don't have that opportunity to kind of run into people who are working on other things. It's such a small, Mm -hmm. um, crew. Usually with editorial, you're kind of off by your own. And I think initially, like we probably first met or like knew of each other, um, because we're working the same facility, at least as far as Mm -hmm. I can remember. Um, and then, you know, saw each other at some kind of industry get together. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's super helpful to just say hello to the people who are down the hall and you never know when you might end up, you know, they might need to hire somebody.
1: Yeah, which is pretty highly likely, to be honest. I feel like I've worked with a ton of people who I just met in the halls um, yeah. or I, I worked on a movie where um The producer one day was like, look what I found. And it was one of my random cold emails from a movie that she was producing like forever ago, probably like a decade ago, that I had emailed the production office uh, via Production Weekly and wrote my whole spiel of like, I'm like fresh out of college and I've done all these things, blah, 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 please hire me. And she was like, "Look what I found! Isn't that hilarious?" <laughs> so, like, I you know, ironically, not that that helped me at all, but like maybe it endeared me to her after she saw that I had emailed her long, long ago. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you never know who, what connections you make will like pay off later, or, or who you'll work with later.
0: That's so true. Speaking about like the early stuff and the later stuff, like what what are the big biggest differences between? those early movies you're doing and what you're doing now, because I think people think that big studio movies, everything is just like totally different. How could I ever work on something like that without tons of experience?
1: Yeah. I mean, to an extent, some of that is true, but it's all like the base layers, everything that you've done before. So all the skills that I use for the smaller projects are the same skills that I use for the larger projects, but it's just, more like it's you know i i was um i think the first movie that i was a vfx editor on i probably tracked everything in like google docs just because there was like 300 shots or whatever not even like 200 shots um and it's like it was like one vendor and not a big deal at all um i feel like as it grows you have to get more creative with um organizing and coordinating because there's just so many more people involved so many more vendors involved so many more crew so many more shots so it's like all right now we need a more a more robust system of tracking we need a better like file maker uh program most people who work in visual effects use file maker like something that they built or something that they bought um that's like a plug-in overlay file maker um and so it's like all right we need that we need we need to have more information because when they ask us details we need to to like spit it out give it to them um or just like we were using several different like coordination tools because we were getting seen like hundreds of requests every day and so it was like okay not only is it impossible to keep track of, but it's like, what's the priority anymore? Like you're starting something and then you get 50 more things. It's like, what should I stop and do the new things? Or what am I doing? So we used something that was called tick tick. That was like a, it's like a to-do list, but it was nice because you can invite people to it and then you can assign people to things and you can set priority and just like people can claim it and, you know, sort it out that way. add comments, add notes, link emails, blah, blah, blah. And then um, on the VFX coordinator side, we actually had something that one of our coordinators had designed, which was actually a Google Doc spreadsheet where basically all of the coordinators would input their requests from their vendors into there in addition to sending an email because then usually we just respond to the email. So it's all kind of like kept in one thread. Um, but the system that she had built was similarly like there was a priority set which was the which was key like we needed them to tell us what uh was most important and then we could you know put our names on it so we could say like i'm grabbing this and then we could say it's in progress or we're waiting on something or whatever um so we just sort of as you expand you just need more tools to help you out because it just gets overwhelming like it's when you get 50 emails an hour or whatever it is. It's like what you just sort of get bogged down and freeze at just like the sheer amount of stuff to do. Right. Um, and you know, the editorial team is larger. And so there's, there were four editors, there were four assistants and they're all coming with questions and, um, I'm pointing people in directions and things. So it's just like, it's just so hectic and, um, there's just so many players that you really have to have your stuff organized. <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of the biggest thing is like it just, you just have to get more creative and more, more organized as you get bigger because um, there's just so so many spinning plates at all times, like at all yeah. times.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really sounds like you're just talking about like databases and like ways of focusing your work on getting stuff done um, more than yeah. like developing super cg skills are the kinds of things that um people might think you would need to know but
1: oh yeah no i mean honestly the busier and the bigger it is i feel like actually the less temps i do because then it becomes like i can't even do it like it's like a 3d full cg uh you know moving in in 3d space rather like just like something that i if I tried, it would take too long and look like garbage. So might as well have like the professionals do a version of it.
0: Right. Um, right. And
1: we had a team that was also in-house that we could send stuff to, um, to as well. So we, we gave them post phase to do and like the assistant owners were helping. And like, cause it was just like so much that much as I would love to have done all the temps, it just would have taken up so much of our time. I would say like, as the job gets bigger, it's not like it's the the duties are harder. It's just more the management of being able to achieve them all because you're now getting so many. It's like on a smaller project, it's like, okay, like do this one sort of difficult temp, and you've got. You know, three days to do it, and that's the only thing you have to do. But on this, it's like you have that plus you have fifty requests of like QuickTime references, and they're looking for this plate, and they're, and like we need elements for potential like two D face replace, and we need you know look for this, look for that, do that, asking questions. People are at my door every day, or every minute rather, and it's just like not so much that you, not that it, yeah, but the work gets harder. It just gets more complicated to do it all. Effectively,
0: yeah, yeah, and the pressure is on you to make sure it all gets done and nothing slips through the cracks. And if there are, there's a screening and the shots aren't ready, they come to you to ask why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Exactly. laughs> Before we go, do you have any stories about working in the industry that people might be interested in?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was in college, I worked at a movie theater, and as I was sweeping up all the popcorn the credits were rolling for Anchorman over and over and over. Like, you know, I kept having to go in at the end of the movie and sweep it up. And so I got really familiar with all of the like outtakes and stuff. Um, And then cut to like uh, six or seven years later. And I'm now working with that crew on my first union job. And I'm like quoting those random like bloopers with the editor, just like, we're all just like loving it because they're so hilarious, and he's reminiscing, and I'm reminiscing in a different way, and it was just like super crazy to be in the room with them. And then, like a few years after that, even, I was working on Anchorman too. so it was like the most bizarre, just like through line of like, here I am cleaning up people's garbage in a movie theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, watching the end of Anchorman over and over every day, and then getting to work with that same team. On Anchorman 2, and have like a preview screening go really great, and have like Adam McKay and Will Farrell and Judd Apatow all tell me how awesome my like temp was because it like slayed in the screening and made everyone laugh, and it's just like <laughs> so awesome.
0: <laughs> what was the temp? Do you remember?
1: Uh, yeah, it was um, during the first confrontation with. Uh, Ron Burgundy and his nemesis uh, Jack Lyme in Angerman 2 uh, it's a throwback to the original one but like it pushes in on his eye and there's like an explosion and then the guy from uh, like John claude Van Damme from Bloodsport is like screaming ah! Alright guys that's enough that was the temp that I did. <laughs> and basically the VFX house just did the same temp that I did. So that's what how it ended was like my basic design.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kim, for taking the time to talk with us. And uh,
1: yeah.
0: good luck with everything else. Do you know what's happening next for you?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, right now I'm off, which is nice. And just kind of taking a bit of taking a breather because that one was... Again, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, kind of, we'll see with the writer strike what happens and what comes around, um, and see. You know, I'm kind of, I'm really interested in what thing right the what the writer strike like brings to the forefront and how that affects us actually, because I feel like a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, AI and visual effects too, actually. So it, it'll be interesting. So we'll see how kind of everything shakes out yeah see what comes up out of it
0: let's hope it all turns out uh in a way that preserves creative work for creative people and lets you uh keep organizing lots of shots yeah (laughs)
1: yeah exactly
0: thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed that conversation with kim houston I think anyone looking to break into Hollywood should pay attention to the way Kim took opportunities when they presented themselves, even if it meant that she had to pretend that she was going to be in Los Angeles and then book a flight just to go have coffee with someone. Please subscribe so you'll get future episodes, and if you have any suggestions about people you'd like to see interviewed in the future, please go to hollywoodonramp.net slash podcast and contact us there. And if you'd like to watch this interview on video, please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hollywoodonramp. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.